there, it's, it's Stuart Haynes, and welcome to the iFormerX podcast. I'm so pleased that you've made the effort to advance your knowledge through this professional development activity. The mission of iFormerX is to empower practitioners to apply the best available evidence to make well-informed patient care decisions in ambulatory and community pharmacy settings. So if you're not already a member of iFormerX, please consider joining by heading over to our website, iFormerX.org, and sign up today. It's free to health professionals, students, residents, and fellows. In today's episode, we're, we're going to be talking about the treatment of asthma. It's well established that patients with moderate to severe symptoms should be using a combination of daily controller medications plus a, quote, rescue regimen when they experience symptoms or exacerbations. Most patients use a short-acting beta agonist when they have symptoms, but over the past few years, there's been mounting evidence that using a beta agonist alone as monotherapy, as needed, may not be the best choice. And we've reviewed several of these studies on iFormerX over the past five years. And while the results of the recently released Mandela trial, which appeared in the New England Journal of Medicine in June 2022, are not surprising. I thought it was important to review this paper because far too many patients are still using a short-acting beta agonist as a rescue inhaler. And here to tell us about the Mandela trial and its implications in practice are two of our outstanding contributors, Dr. Catherine Montag-Schaefer and Dr. Stephanie Nigro. Dr. Schaefer is a member of the faculty in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Minnesota, and she practices at the Fallon Village Family Medicine Clinic, which is in St. Paul. And Dr. Nigro is on faculty at the University of Connecticut in the Department of Pharmacy Practice, and she practices with pro-health physicians in Farmington. Both Catherine and Stephanie provide a broad range of patient care services with patients with chronic diseases, including patients of all ages, those with asthma, and COPD. So Catherine, Stephanie, I'm so pleased to welcome you both back on the iFormerX podcast today. Thanks so much for having us, Stuart. Grateful to be here. Thanks, Stuart. So, Catherine, let's start with you. Before we talk about the Mandela study, I'd like to set the stage a bit. Traditionally, patients have used beta agonists to treat shortness of breath, and it's been the mainstay of therapy for nearly every patient with asthma, regardless of whether they have mild intermittent symptoms or persistent severe symptoms. And when a patient has an exacerbation, they're commonly instructed to use a beta agonist, short-acting beta agonist, along with a corticosteroid burst of some sort, either administered by inhalation or given orally. But this approach is starting to fall out of favor. So can you give us a brief summary of the current recommendations for the treatment of shortness of breath and exacerbations? Sure. So the recommendations for reliever therapy largely differ depending on the guideline in which you're referencing. So for the NHLBI guideline that was recently updated in 2020, for the treatment of intermittent asthma, the use of as-needed short-acting bronchodilator or SABA is still recommended and the preferred treatment option. But for patients who have persistent symptoms, the as-needed SABA use is recommended as an available treatment option across all steps. 
However, the most recent guideline update in 2020 highlights that this regimen is now taking the back seat or is given the alternative treatment recommendation specifically for steps three and four. And this is where SMART therapy or single maintenance and reliever therapy with ICS for Motorol has now taken the preferred reliever recommendation. When we switch over to the GINA guidelines, the recommendations for reliever therapy are SMART. And this is for all treatment steps. And the use of as-needed SABA use is then recommended as an alternative reliever option for when preferred treatment with ICS for Motorol is not available. The reasons in which Gina has worked to move away from as-needed SABA use is just from this long-standing data that we have on the risks of over-relying on SABAs, and this includes the increased risk of exacerbations and asthma-related mortality, and also just due to the known benefits of alternative rescue treatments that we have available, which include both a bronchodilator and an inhaled corticosteroid. And these data pull from regimens like SMART as well as intermittent ICS use, where ICS and SABA inhalers are used back-to-back. Both of these treatment regimens have demonstrated both relief of symptoms and to decrease the risk of poor asthma outcomes, including exacerbations, the need for oral corticosteroids, and hospitalizations. Preventing exercise-induced bronchoconstriction has also classically been a place where as-needed SABA therapy has lived. And while there really haven't been any specific updates in either guideline, neither NHLBI or GINA, GINA highlights that there's emerging evidence that regular SABA use can increase the risk of exercise-induced bronchoconstriction episodes and that there might be benefit to incorporating an inhaled corticosteroid with a bronchodilator in these pre-exercise regimens. So as you can see across multiple subgroups of patients and across the guidelines, the addition of an inhaled corticosteroid to a bronchodilator in the reliever regimen is highly recommended. So Stephanie, let's talk about the Mandela study. The official title of the paper is albuterol budesonide fixed-dose combination rescue inhaler for asthma, and it was published in the New England Journal of Medicine. We provide a link to that paper on our website. So I encourage everyone to read the paper, but can you give us a brief summary of the study methods and the results? Sure, Stuart. And I'm really glad that they abbreviated that title because that certainly was a mouthful. So the Mandala trial had a rigorous study design and assessed more than 3,000 participants with moderate to severe asthma. Investigators really wanted to evaluate whether a fixed-dose combination of albuterol and budesonide could be used as a rescue therapy to lower the risk of severe asthma exacerbations. And this fixed-dose combination was compared to albuterol alone, which we discussed has been the standard of care for many years. To be eligible for this study, participants needed to be at least four years of age, they needed to have symptoms, and they had to have at least one severe asthma exacerbation within the past year. They also had to be taking stable doses of an ICS alone or in combination with other asthma maintenance medications at baseline. Adults and adolescents were randomized to one of three treatment groups, either lower or higher dose fixed dose combinations of albuterol budesonide or albuterol monotherapy. Children who were between the ages of 4 and 11 years of age were randomized to the lower fixed dose combination group or albuterol monotherapy. And so all participants continued their pre-study maintenance medications and were instructed to use their assigned rescue therapy 
in response to symptoms, but they were instructed not to exceed 12 inhalations or six doses per day. And the primary efficacy endpoint was the time to first severe asthma exacerbation during the treatment period. And about a third of the patient population, Stuart, did experience the primary outcome, but results showed that those in the fixed-dose albuterol-budesonide groups were less likely to experience that exacerbation overall. So, Stephanie, I think the study affirms some of the previous studies that have been conducted using combination beta agonist plus a steroid as a rescue inhaler. But do you have any concerns about the design or the conduct of the study? Are there any sources of bias or important limitations that we should be aware of? So, Stuart, I'm really glad that you mentioned some previous studies because many have helped really establish the efficacy of combining a fast-acting beta agonist with an ICS for rescue therapy in patients with moderate to severe asthma. And pooled results from both blinded and unblinded randomized trials have shown a 32% reduction in the risk of severe exacerbations when SMART therapy that Catherine described is used. But here in the Mandala study, a 26% reduced risk of severe exacerbations was observed when a SABA was combined with an ICS. And I think it's worth noting that while the numbers appear very similar, SMART therapy incorporates the fast onset but long-acting formoterol, whereas in Mandala, they use the fast onset short-acting albuterol. And so to address your question about study limitations, there certainly are a few worth noting. About three-quarters of the study population were between the ages of 18 and 64, so it's unclear if these results would extrapolate to pediatric populations. And I think that this is an important unanswered question since asthma is a highly prevalent chronic disease in children. We also don't know how or if these results would apply to patients with good asthma control since all participants in Mandala were symptomatic and had a previous exacerbation within the past year. Lastly, and probably most notably, it's worth mentioning that here in the U.S., a fixed-dose combination of ASABA and ICS is not available. So even if we wanted to adopt this practice, we can't. I think it's clear from the totality of evidence that combining a fast-acting beta agonist with an ICS is preferred to albuterol monotherapy for rescue. But I think a head-to-head trial comparing formoterol to albuterol when combined with an ICS is needed to help us better identify the best strategy we should be adopting in practice. So, Catherine, I'm wondering why so many patients continue to use a short-acting beta agonist as monotherapy as a rescue inhaler. We've got data now to support the use of combination inhalers with either a LABA or SABA and a corticosteroid in a fairly broad range of patients in different age groups. What are some of the practical issues that prevent wider adoption of combination inhalers as needed? I think there are many issues that have prevented us from adopting these recommendations more widely. I think the first that probably comes to most of our minds is insurance coverage and cost. And while there's really only so much we can do to overcome these barriers for our patients, like the prior auth, the appeal process, we should continue to advocate where we can for the coverage of evidence-based treatment options. Second, patients are sometimes also hesitant to change given previous success with their established asthma regimen. This requires us as ambulatory care pharmacists to really provide education on this updated data to help patients understand the risks of their current treatments and the potential benefits to change. 
Finally, many prescribers have the as-needed Saba as their preferred rescue regimen ingrained into their practice. I think we ambulatory care pharmacists can also serve as a way to overcome this clinical inertia. Their education of our prescribers, we can help them again to see not only the benefits of these new therapy options, but also highlighting the harms of our current prescribing practices. Well, Catherine, Stephanie, as always, it's a delight to have you both on the iFormerX podcast. And thank you for walking us through the Mandala study. I hope this evidence has got our listeners thinking about recommending combination therapy as a rescue inhaler to patients with asthma more often and addressing the clinical inertia that many of us see in our practices. Are you still seeing beta agonists being used as the preferred rescue inhaler for most of the patients with persistent asthma in your practice? Leave a comment by visiting iformerx.org, our website, and be sure to sign in every time you visit. And if you're a board-certified ambulatory care pharmacist, like Dr. Schaefer, Dr. Nigro, and myself, you want to earn board recertification and continuing education credit for listening to this podcast and, of course, reading the written commentary posted on our website. We've partnered with the American Pharmacists Association to produce their evidence-based practice literature evaluation series, and you can learn more about the APHA board prep and recertification program by clicking on the link posted below the written commentary on our website. And finally, I want to acknowledge all the residency program directors out there in our audience who put lots of time and effort into all of the behind the scenes things that need to be done to make a residency training program possible. From developing each resident's schedule, conducting preceptor training, recruiting and interviewing candidates, mentoring and being a role model to residents, and for preparing the self-study documents and getting everything organized for an accreditation visit. I know it's a lot of work and it's underappreciated, so thank you. And if you are a resident listening to this podcast, I want you to make a special effort to thank your RPD this week. Take her out to lunch or place a nice thank you note on his desk. Until next time, this is Stuart Haynes, Editor-in-Chief of iFormerX, signing off. Mm-hmm.